All right, open your Bibles with me to 1 Peter chapter 5. 1 Peter chapter 5. I'm so grateful the Lord gave me an opportunity to come back. Uh, mention was made that last week I was sick, and that is accurate. As sick as I've ever been in my whole life. In fact, so sick that the entire day of Sunday, I didn't even say one word. My, my voice was completely missing. So if you say, well, you were sick, but you still should have been here, I literally couldn't have said anything. And uh, maybe that would have been my best sermon. I'm not sure. Uh, but I'm grateful that the Lord has granted to me uh, both the opportunity because uh, I had scheduled it so that last Sunday was my last Sunday here. Uh, but actually, it's going to be this Friday that we're going to be driving out towards North Carolina. And so when I knew that I was so sick that I was not going to be able to, to be speaking on Sunday, I was racking my brain thinking, how could I leave this whole congregation hanging on the edge, wanting to finish First Peter? I just couldn't do it. And so I, I thought, man, can I contact someone? Well, I knew that my good friend Dan Winberg was uh, intending to speak today. And I thought, well, what if we can flip-flop? And uh, in God's good providence, we were able to do that, and I'm so thankful for that. And here, in God's good providence, my last week here, we're finishing a series on First Peter, and I'm giving to you Peter's final admonitions to a suffering congregation. And he tells them to be watchful. Would you join, as I look down at the text in First Peter chapter 5, we're going to read verses 8 all the way to the end. Here's what Peter says in the final words given to him by God for his congregation, but also for this congregation. Be sober-minded. Be watchful. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour. Resist him, firm in your faith, knowing that the same kinds of suffering are being experienced by your brotherhood throughout the world. And after you have suffered a little while, the God of all grace, the one who has called you into his eternal glory in Christ, will himself restore, confirm, strengthen, and establish you. To him be the dominion forever and ever. Amen. By Sylvanus, a faithful brother, as I regard him, I've written briefly to you, exhorting, declaring, this is the true grace of God. Stand for a minute. She who's at Babylon, who's likewise chosen, sends you greetings, as does Mark, my son. Greet one another with the kiss of love. Peace to all of you who are in Christ. This afternoon, we will not be dealing with verses 12 through 14, which are really Peter's conclusion in the sense of saying who he's written to, why he's written, those sorts of things. We've already covered that at the beginning. What I'd like to cover, though, this afternoon is Peter's two admonitions at the very end of this book, two warnings, if you would, and he's warning his congregation that they have to be watchful, that there are two things that they have to keep their eyes on as they live out the rest of their time sojourning. So let's pray together and we'll jump right into that. Father, I'm so thankful for the many, many months you've given to me as a gift to proclaim the word to this people. Father, I'm grateful for the way that you've laid them on my own heart because these are quite evidently your people. 
They have desired after your word. They have listened and they have indicated ways in which they have been changed by your word. And what a reward this has been for me to be able to enjoy. Thank you for the opportunity you've given to me this afternoon to once more proclaim the word. May it be rich, not only in the lives of those who hear it, but in my life as well. Father, help us all to be transformed into the image of your son through the preaching of your word that's proclaimed today. Thank you again for it, Father. In Jesus' name, amen. Be watchful. Peter gives actually two commands here in verse number eight, and they both relate to one another. You'll notice at the very beginning of verse number eight, he says, be sober-minded. This is a word we've already seen in 1 Peter on a couple of occasions. It would usually be referenced, it was a word that usually referenced not drinking alcohol. I don't think that's Peter's point here. I don't think he's saying, hey, uh, you Christian congregation out there, stop getting drunk, would you? I don't think that's what he's saying here. What he's saying is he's using this in a metaphorical way, saying, be the sorts of people who are always sober-minded, ready to think, thinking the right way, not being inebriated, not being uh, infatuated with things that take your mind away from the things that are really important. So be sober. But then he uses another word. He says, be sober-minded, and then he says, be watchful. This word is incredibly rich. We're going to talk about it in a number of different ways, but in essence, what it's saying is keep your eyes wide open. If I could use an analogy like he used, he says, be sober-minded, I say, be caffeinated, all right? Uh, my wife and I were just talking on the drive here as to when I began to drink coffee. And I made it all the way up until PhD school. And then I needed the caffeine. I needed to be watchful, ready, vigilant. Uh, you know, they, they, there's a reason people like to drink caffeine, isn't there? Not only because coffee tastes fantastic. And I know there's probably some weirdos out there who don't think that's true. <laughs> But the reason that you enjoy coffee or caffeinated beverages is because it gives you an alertness. It, it gets you, you, you begin to think sharper, and maybe that'll tail off at some point, but for a period of time, it gets you thinking well. And in the same way, I think what Peter's saying here is, listen, you not only should not be inebriated, not be distracted by the things of this world, but you must be actively Ready. You, you must be watchful, keeping your eyes wide open. So if we ask the question, why should we do these two things? He's going to give us two answers to that. And one is related to our enemy, and one is related to our best friend. The Lord's given to us two eyes, and I think what Peter's telling us here in this passage is always be sober-minded, be watchful with one eye, on your enemy, and the other eye on your God. One eye on your enemy, and one eye on your God. Well, he begins with the enemy, first of all, because he says, watch out for your, your adversary. You'll, you see this in verse 8. Be watchful. Your adversary, the devil, 
Adversary is a word that refers to somebody who you would see in court. And some have suggested that Peter's literally talking about adversary in court. Because as you'll recall, uh, the uh, recipients of 1 Peter were likely being taken to court over their claim of Christ. They were being accused of being against the Roman government because they were for Christ. They weren't making sacrifices to Caesar, these sorts of things. And so I think what Peter is doing here is he's saying, listen, you do have an adversary. Someone who stands against you. And that adversary may look human. And in many ways, they are human. But lying behind those adversaries is a spiritual enemy. Ephesians chapter 5, the Apostle Paul says, Our battle is not against flesh and blood, but against spiritualities and powers in spiritual places. And his point there is that if we are distracted merely by the physical things and the people that are around us, we might miss that there's a greater enemy that lies behind. There's a spirit that lies behind. In fact, he not only calls him an adversary, he calls him the devil. Now, we may think that devil is, a, is the name of, of the enemy. Uh, in fact, if you think so, then you say, okay, well... Isn't there another name, Satan? And then you say, well, isn't there another name, Lucifer? And the honest truth is, we actually don't know the, the proper name of the chief enemy. Lucifer means shining one. So it could be a proper name, or it could just be a reference to one who had uh, the greatest glory of all created beings. Satan, the word Satan, simply means enemy. And so when Jesus says to Peter, get behind me, Satan, he very well not be calling him Satan, the, the proper name of, a, of an individual. He may just be saying, get behind me. You are acting as an enemy. And then the word devil also is not a formal name. It actually means slanderer. That's what the word devil means. So you could call somebody a devil. That is a slanderer, someone who makes something up about you, one who commits libel, speaking lies about you. And it, when we look in 1 Peter, what we find fascinating is that the audience of 1 Peter had been going through slander. In fact, Peter says, when you are slandered, so he's assuming that they are slandered, probably because he's heard that they are being slandered. And so when Peter says, watch out your enemy or your adversary, the devil, He's really describing what our enemy is going to do. He's going to slander us. He's going to say false things about us. He's going to stand opposed to us. He describes them in a third way. It describes why I have the picture. He says, be sober-minded, be watchful. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion. One of the things you always want to see when you go to the uh, zoo is what? You want to see the lions, right? And it's, it's the most disappointing time ever when you go to the zoo and it's like, yeah, well, the lions are sleeping somewhere hidden behind some alcove and they're going to be there for the next three days. It's like, all right, great. Here I am. 
And then, you know, you, you hear the next day somebody says, oh, yeah, the lion ripped apart a lamb right there in the, the cage, and you didn't get to see it. You know, you, you, you want to see this, this ferocious beast, but there's also something else you want to see. You want to see the ferocious beast, and you want to see what between you and that ferocious beast. Really thick glass. I mean, really, really thick glass. Because if you've ever stood close to one of these beasts, you know their power. It'll make you shudder as you stand in the presence of such majesty, the power of a lion. But Peter doesn't just describe him as a lion, but a roaring lion. A roaring lion who's seeking someone to devour. That is, he's going around seeking someone to destroy. And in fact, he's your enemy. He's, he's, he's one who stands against you. And so who do we think that he's coming to destroy? So if I told you there was a roaring lion, he was definitely opposed to you, somehow he had gotten your scent, wanted to destroy you, and it was outside somewhere, and you found out about it, what would be the advice that you think you would hear from others? Or what would be the advice you would give to other people if they were in that situation? Flee! Get away! Run! It's interesting. Do you know Peter does not say that? Did you, did you catch it earlier? Because uh, again, I think this is shocking, right? It's like, hey, your adversary... The devil, he's a roaring lion, he's seeking someone to devour. And, and my thought is, okay, then Peter, tell us to, to get away, to flee, to run. And you know what he says here? He's seeking someone to devour. Verse 9, resist him. Resist him. That doesn't sound like the best advice in one sense. Because we recognize immediately that the roaring lion is so much more powerful than us. But I think if you've already listened to 1 Peter, you know the answer to this question. Yes, there is a lion who's much more powerful than us. But are we ever left alone? Are we ever abandoned to the enemy? No. And so Peter says, resist. So here's the question. If we are to resist him, how are we going to do that? How do we stand up against the forces of evil in this world? I mean, I just think about it. I'm a puny little Christian. I mean, what power do I have? And yet, Jesus says to me, and Jesus says to you, stand up to the devil. So how are we going to do that? Well, I think that there are a series of things that Peter tells us. The first is simply to be watchful. Remember, this, be, this passage begins, be sober-minded and be watchful. That is, be aware that you actually have an enemy. Be aware that this is not your home. You are actually living in a place that Paul calls the place in which there is a God of this world. And that God of this world is Satan himself. You were living in enemy territory. And I think one of the ways that Satan deceives us 
One of the ways that Satan keeps us from responding rightly to that idea is that he gets us very comfortable living in this life. We get real comfortable and we think nobody's, I mean, there, there's, no, there, there's nobody out there seeking to devour me. I'm going to be okay. But here's the question. When we begin to say that, what verse pops into your mind? He who believes he stands, take heed lest you fall. The very first thing I think Peter is telling us by means of just the way he's organized this passage is that you have to be aware that you do have an enemy and that that enemy desires the destruction of your soul, of your mind, of your body. He desires to get you involved in sins that will destroy your life. So the first thing we must simply do is realize it. Second, be humble. Why do I say be humble? Well, you'll remember, if you were here a couple of weeks ago, what came directly previous to this passage. He said back in verse number six, in a lot of English translations, including the ESV, so if you've got the ESV, it does this as well. You'll notice that verse six is included within the paragraph of verse eight. And here's what he says in verse six. Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, that at the proper time he may exalt you, casting your anxiety on him because he cares for you. So be sober-minded. Be watchful. Because your adversary, the devil, goes about as a roaring lion. Do You see, humility is necessary for us to stand against the devil. There's no quicker way for us to fall than for us to believe that we are sufficient. For us to begin to think that even if, there is a, even if there is a lion in the streets, I am sufficient to face that lion. You see, the very depiction of our enemy is given in such a way that it is to humble us. I hear that there are some foolish people who would answer this question differently. And probably quite pridefully. But let me ask you, if it was you versus a lion, who would win? And again, if you think you would win, I beg to differ, and you probably are a little prideful, all right? If you've got the strength of Samson, I'm wrong, okay? But somehow I think that's not the case. You see, there comes a humility as I face the reality of the fact that I stand against an enemy that is so far superior to me in wisdom, in power, in strength, in knowledge, that I do not stand a chance unless I stand under the Lord Jesus Christ. You see, it's not just Peter, though, who talks about humility in reference to this, because James as well, in James chapter 4, says this, he gives more grace, that is, God gives more grace. Therefore, it says, God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Submit yourselves, therefore, to God. Resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Isn't that a fascinating thing? But you'll, you'll have to notice, it's when you are submitted to God that the devil will flee from you. And it's sort of like the, the little boy who's standing there and 
He roars, and he thinks he's done something because somebody responds in fear, but what he doesn't know is that there's somebody bigger and larger behind him. And in the same way, here we are, this puny thing that stands against the foe, and the devil flees from us, but it's not because of us. It's because of the one who's with us, who's promised to always be with us. But how is he with us? When is he with us? He's promised to be with the humble, to those who know their station, to those who would recognize their need for submission to him. So be humble. So what two ways are we going to resist the devil? We're going to be watchful. We're going to be humble. But I think a third thing is implied within this passage. Peter doesn't mention it explicitly, but maybe you've already thought of an experience in Peter's life that might be similar to the experience that we're talking about here. Be prayerful. Why do I mention prayerful? Do you remember when Jesus is on, on the mountain there? He's He's just had the Lord's Supper. He's asked his disciples to come with him, to pray with him. He's just told them, I'm about to be handed over to men to be crucified. Would you come pray with me? Watch with me, he says. And this is what Jesus says in Mark chapter 14. My soul is overwhelmed with sorrow to the point of death. He said to them, that is to the disciples, stay here and keep watch. Now, what what does he mean by keep watch? It's quite evident by the rest of the context. What he means is keep this in prayer. Keep me in prayer. I'm about to go to the cross and this is hard for me. Pray for me. Matthew 26 then. By the way, that word keep watch is the same word Peter used here when he says be watchful. Okay. Notice Matthew 26, 40 to 41. He returned to his disciples. Remember what has happened is Jesus said to his disciples, stay here and keep watch with me. And then it says that Jesus went a stone's throw and he fell on his knees and he pleaded with his father. If this cup can pass from me, but not my will, but yours. And after having prayed for an hour, he came back to his disciples And this is what it says in verse 40 of Matthew 26. He returned to his disciples and found them sleeping. Couldn't you men keep watch with me for one hour? And then notice, he asked Peter, watch and pray so that you will not fall into temptation. The spirit is willing, but the flesh is is weak. Do you see what he says directly to Peter? You, Peter, need to watch and you need to pray so that you don't fall into temptation. One of the things that preps us for Jesus' statement there actually comes to us in the Gospel of Luke because do you remember Jesus, right before all this takes place, says to Peter, Simon, Simon, Satan has asked to sift you as wheat. I have prayed for you, Simon, that your faith may not fail. And when you have returned back, in other words, after you fail, 
strengthen your brothers. Sifting as wheat was a vigorous process. It was seeking to get the weed out from everything else, and it involved a beating process. It was not a pleasant process. And here what he's saying is, look, Satan is desiring your soul. He is coming directly for you, Peter. And I prayed for you. And then directly following this, they go to the mountain, and Jesus says, stay here and pray with me. And they fall asleep, and Jesus comes back, and he says, Peter, pray that you would not fall into temptation. Because Satan seeks to destroy you. Do you think Peter remembered that? How many times do you think Peter, after failing, thought back to this conversation with Jesus? How many times do you think Peter, after failing, thought back to the time period in which he was sleeping instead of praying. The text actually tells us that Jesus goes off and comes back and he finds them sleeping again. Peter, was he being watchful? No. And the consequence of that for him was devastating. And we know the rest of the story. He is restored exactly as Jesus indicated. But here's what Peter comes to say to us then. He says, friends, let me tell you, Satan's out there and he's seeking someone to devour. Be watchful. In other words, be prayerful. Are you praying that you would be able to withstand the temptations of life? Jesus in his, in his uh, disciples' prayer, Lord's prayer, whatever you want to call it, tells us to pray that the Lord would keep us from temptation? Do you pray that God would give you strength to stand up against the schemes of the devil, against the, the dark things in the dark world? Here, Peter tells us, if we're going to resist the devil, then we've got to be prayerful. One thing we might miss, but it's clearly in the text, is that we need to be faithful. What does it mean? Well, notice here in verse number nine, resist him firm in your faith. There's the line, firm in your faith. I think here what Peter's saying isn't so much uh, that uh, we are always to remain faithful, though he implies that. I think th the point he's making here is to be full of faith. I've got a picture here of David and Goliath. And the reason I think this is an appropriate analogy is because in many ways we are the David to Satan the Goliath. We stand against a roaring lion for whom we cannot really stand. We know this. We don't have the strength to stand against this supernatural being. And David did not have the strength to stand against Goliath. But did David hesitate to fight Goliath? He didn't. And why did David not hesitate to fight Goliath? As he said to all the other men standing there, why is no one preparing to fight this man? We have the God of Israel on our side. And if he's for us, who can stand against us? Do you see, he was full of faith. 
He recognized that he was insufficient to the task, but that he was wed to one who was more than sufficient. And so, David versus Goliath leads to the loss of David. David plus God versus Goliath. Goliath stood no chance. Us standing against our spiritual enemy stand no chance. Us with our God who has promised to be with us. The devil stands no chance. He doesn't. He's already been defeated. His power has been taken. And he is waiting for what he already knows, his final destruction. And he fears the name of Jesus. And he fears God, for God is the only one stronger than him, but he is omnipotently more powerful than him. Let me mention one more thing about keeping our eyes on our enemy. There's one more thing I think Peter wants us to recognize, and that is that when we resist the devil, let's not think that we are alone in doing so. Be knowledgeable. Notice he says, resist him firm in your faith, knowing that the same kinds of suffering are being experienced by your brotherhood throughout the world. Do you know, I think that there is this complex that all of us tend to sometimes get where, woe is me, I'm all alone, this is only happening to me. And we miss out on the fact that this is the universal experience of God's people. And what Peter is saying is, resist him. Because there are believers across this globe in more difficult circumstances than us who are standing the test of faith and they're standing against the devil and they're resisting him and he is fleeing from them. So take encouragement from that and don't ever begin to believe that we stand alone. Believers across the globe are fighting the same fight of faith that we are fighting. Now, if Peter ended the text there, it'd be quite disappointing. Uh, you know, it'd be depressing almost. But as he tells us, keep your eye on your enemy while you traverse this life, while you live in an age in which you are not at your own home, he says there's something else to keep our eye on. Watch the clouds. Watch your God. Notice this is what he says down in verse 10. And, so while you're resisting the devil, while you're doing all these things, while you're watchful, and after you have suffered a little while, the God of all grace, who called you in his eternal glory in Christ, will himself restore, confirm, strengthen, and establish you. As one eye is fixed on our enemy, our other eye is fixed on our God. Recall who your God is. I love this definition of God. He is the God of all grace. This could be interpreted in a number of ways. It could be that he is fully grace, and that's true. It could be that all grace that has ever come into this world comes as source from him, and that's true. And so whichever way you want to take it, here's the point. God has been so graceful to us. He has given us gift upon gift, undeserved gift upon undeserved gift. The God of all grace. What did he do? 
He called you into his eternal glory. Now, if we, if we are tempted to read that and just pass over it, I think what we've forgotten is what we deserved. He called us into his eternal glory, but what prior to being called into his eternal glory, where were we headed and what did we deserve? According to scriptural testimony, we were headed to eternal judgment. We were headed to that end because that is what we deserved based upon what we did. We were fallen. We were sinful. We were following the prince of the power of the air. We did those things that our hearts desired, even though we knew they were wrong. That was the nature of who we were. But one day, God reached into our life. He changed us. He made us new. The God of all grace looked at us, who deserved no grace, and poured it out upon us so that we became those who are now called into his eternal glory. One day, the Lord Jesus will return from the sky, and he will beckon us to be with him in his glory. His glory, not ours, because we didn't deserve any, but he shares his with us. This is the God of all grace. And so this God of all grace, he called us into his eternal glory. And what has he promised to us? Notice the, the language of temporality that surrounds this text. Uh, and by the way, I, I should mention that this language of watching uh, that that Peter talked about earlier, remember we said that this language of watching is used for Peter who's... who's uh, who has to be watchful in prayer. But the language of watchfulness is also used in reference to the return of the Lord Jesus. In Matthew 24, Jesus says, keep watch because you don't know on what day your Lord will come. Mark 13, 35, keep watch because you do not know when the owner of the house will come back, whether in the evening or at midnight or when the rooster crows. Revelation 16, 15, this is Jesus' final admonition to us. He says, look, I am coming like a thief. Blessed is the one who stays awake and remains closed so as not to go naked and be shamefully exposed. This language of watchfulness is a language of preparedness. It's a recognition that Jesus is going to return and life will change. Peter began this letter telling us that we are elect exiles. We are people who are in a homeland that's not our own. But every chapter, every section of 1 Peter keeps begging us to look at that day, to set our hope fully on the grace that's going to be brought to us at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Keep your hope there. Look forward there, and when Jesus says, keep watch, and Peter says, be watchful, what he's saying is, keep your eye on the clouds, because one day they will split, and our heavenly Savior will come down to redeem us. And so we say, when? When will this happen? And Peter has an answer for us. He says, after a little while. After a little while. How long is a little while? 
Well, you know, time is this relative thing. Time's hard to say. In, in one sense, uh, the day that I was sickest was the longest day of my entire life. That day would never end. Kept looking at the clock. Time wasn't passing. It was very hard. But you know, there have been days full of joy that have gone by in a moment. It's an odd thing. Here we are, 10 months after I began preaching here. And it doesn't seem like that long at all. Seems like just yesterday. And would we say 10 months is a little time? Depends on your perspective, doesn't it? And here's what I think we have to understand. The perspective scripture offers us is not a perspective of years. It's a perspective of eternities. Because notice what he says at the end here. Verse 11, to him be the dominion forever and ever. Dominion means the lordship, the rulership. And the reminder is this, after a little while, you experience difficulty now for a short period, whatever that is, and that may be 80 years. But what's 80 years in the scope of eternity? The time frame that God's given to us on this life, even if it's filled with suffering, the entirety of it, and we live faithful to, faithfully to the Lord in the midst of all of it. It will be a short time. And Peter tells us, after a little while, the God of all grace who called us into his eternal glory will do a few things. What will he do? He will restore, confirm, strengthen, and establish it's actually quite hard to translate this section of 1 Peter because the final three words all mean the identically same thing. And so if you look in the Greek dictionary, you're going to find the same definition for all three words. So why is that? And I think it's for this reason. What Peter's saying is this. God himself will restore. Restore means to bring about what should have been. Maybe we could put it this way. God will make all things right. After a little while, God will make all things right. And then in reference to us, what is he going to do? He's going to confirm, strengthen, establish. All three of these refer to the fact that he's going to establish our steps Confirm us in grace. It's in reference to the fact that one day the Lord's going to come back and he's going to fundamentally change us. Though we've already been changed, we know we await the time period in which we will no longer desire after sin. We await that time period in which the Lord Jesus will wipe away every tear from our eyes and everything will be fully made right. Is that a pipe dream? I'm afraid sometimes that's almost how we think of it. But Peter says, that's no pipe dream. 
That's the reality. And if that's the reality, then shouldn't we live like it? See, I think as Peter comes to the conclusion in his letter, then he really says there are two dangers that you face in this life. You are living a life outside of your homeland. There are two dangers that face you. The one is that you would take your eyes off the enemy of your soul. The scripture tells us, do not be ignorant of Satan and his designs, but stand against him. And so there is a danger that we might lose sight of our enemy. But the second danger is that we might lose sight of our God. One of the saddest realities that can happen with believers is that they lose the hope of eternal glory. They begin to be distracted by the things of this life and they take their eyes off the heavenly eternal prize that God has promised for them. And they then turn their eyes to other things and are distracted. And one day the Lord's going to return and they'll be saddened that they were distracted from the things that really matter. So as I come to you at the final, in a final sermon on 1 Peter, Peter in his final exhortation says to his audience, oh friends, there are two dangers that face you. There's the danger of those who seek to destroy you. Don't take your eyes off them. But there's, a, there's another danger. That's the danger that you take your eyes off your great Savior. And don't do that either. And if at some point we begin to be overwhelmed by the things of this world, then set your eyes more firmly on your Savior. And when we begin to think that the time is too far delayed, think with the Lord. It's just a little while. And the God of all grace, who called you into his eternal glory in Christ Jesus will himself restore, confirm, strengthen, and establish you. Father, I'm so thankful that these words are true. This is no pipe dream. This is what you've promised us. Help these saints to keep their eyes both on the great enemy who seeks to destroy us, but more importantly on you who has promised to never leave us or forsake us, who's promised that even the greatest difficulties and trials we will ever face on this earth will be rewarded in heaven. You have told us that you will restore all things, that you will make all things right. And we believe you. And so we set our hope fully on the grace that will be brought to us at the revelation of your son, Jesus. Amen.